Well, they have been filling their natural gas storage, but you know, in case anybody's wondering, because nobody's going to tell you this, it's not enough. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a beautiful autumnal Saturday, October 15th. I'm Eric Planey. I am Lucas Finko. And together, we are flying high as the Pirates Clean Tech. Yar. <laughs> I stumbled a little. My had a little little gravel in my mouth on that yard. It Yar. is beautiful out today. Well, I was gonna go for a hike, but I didn't get out. Didn't we get out. we went got cider donuts in the morning, and then drove up to Hudson, New York. Beautiful little town where there's a lot of antiquing going on. Oh, and uh, so we did a lot of window shopping, and then drove up to Kinderhook, New York, a little tiny village that's home of both Martin Van Buren. And Benedict Arnold. Hmm. So went for a slice of pizza up there because there's a great little Italian bakery. And then we had a beautiful drive home. So just to this little Hudson Valley round trip and uh, we're buzzing. I didn't even get out of the house. (laughs) I didn't go for a walk. The weather's just gorgeous. Yeah, come on. You have to get out. I mean, tomorrow's supposed to be the same. So make sure you get out tomorrow. You know, I had a, I was on vacation last week because, you know, my wife and I were in Portugal and we're going to talk about Portugal uh, on an episode because. (laughs) Seventy percent of their power is green power, both wind and hydro. Doing a lot of hydrogen there too, so we're going to definitely talk Portugal one day. But anyways, it was great because we did a lot of walking, a lot of exercise. It was great. And then this week I was a slot, so <laughs> I got to do a long bike ride tomorrow. I plan on trying to do a thirty mile ride tomorrow. Well, you know, we saw too that Greece was running on one hundred percent renewables for a couple seconds the other day. So shout out to Greece for sure. Well, I tell you what, I'm still buzzing. I know you're still buzzing. Our last episode, episode 50, we had uh, the incomparable Jigger Shaw on uh, talking bacon and grid. Uh, what a what a great ride it's been for us since then at the Pirates. I mean, we've just gotten tons of feedback, tons of conversations that generated from that. Um, so really, we want to give a shout out to not just Jigger, but also Jamie, uh, who handles a lot of his PR at the DOE for uh you know helping us on that that was just really a a great moment yeah it was super awesome it was really cool to see that he thinks about the same things we do right that we've talked about on the show many many times like transmission the need for transmission and uh so that was really cool and actually i did reach out to him I'd, i'd love to work with them on something uh one of the things i've always wanted to fix is uh waste heat so, you know, those, those giant smokestacks that's at a nuclear plant that don't make any sense because they don't burn any fuel. That's not a smokestack. That's a cooling tower. And the smoke coming out of there is steam. That's water. It's just wasted. They have too much heat and they just dump it into the atmosphere. Why? I mean, there should be a cottage industry around there of industries that need heat. They can get it for free. Well, I, I will tell you, I know uh, 10 years ago when Valoric, the French company, built massive steel tube uh, plant in Ohio, they actually put in a lot of waste heat recapture uh, technologies yep. for, the, for, the, for the emissions for the smokestacks. Yep. You know, they call them smokestacks, but they're really not, a, not, there's not so much smoke coming out. It's excess heat, like you said. Yeah, cooling towers. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> like, it's out there. And so people, the technology is there for sure. Yeah, I mean, like uh, biofuel. Uh, one of the problems with biofuel is you have to heat up the digesters. So yeah. they burn natural gas. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. Not I get this it. Guys. Okay. 
I get it. I mean, but this, these are the conversations, you know, why couldn't you have a biofuel facility next to something that is putting off the excess waste heat? Correct. Correct. Like, your so economics perfect fit. so much better. Your economics become so much better. For both of them. Yeah. I mean, they could charge a nominal fee for waste heat. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're going to have to do some engineering and pipes and stuff. So there's some cost. Yeah, but charge that nominal fee, and you know what? You could lock it in, almost like a PPA. You could probably lock that number in for 10, 15 years. And now yep. we're about spot pricing on natural gas, if that's what is, the digesters are burning. And then go to Jigger and get a loan. That's what I'm saying. Again, we solve something without even like, thinking about it. Every week. Every week. I'm a little jealous. I'm, I'm, I'm finding a little bit of a headache. So uh, I am drinking a coffee with my, uh, for those on YouTube, my favorite Rockford Files Generation <laughs> 1 Firebird coffee mug one of my fave coffee mugs and fave tv shows it is for you younger ones for you younger ones the rockford files there was no got no one out there like james garner did his own stunts it is a sexy mug i'm drinking um this beer i picked up in the middle of the country it's called joseph brow oktoberfest german style lager from uh joseph brow brewing in san jose california so shout out to joseph brow and a tasty beer nice nice mm-hmm all right. Well, we've got uh, we're just doing articles today. We've got some great guests that we're lining up for the future, but uh, we decided it's been a couple of weeks since we had the Jigger episode. So why don't we catch up on a few things that have been on top lately? You know what? Because this is the Pirates of Clean Tech public service announcement for today. So this is auto blog from just yesterday, but this was all over the uh, auto blog and auto uh, website sphere yesterday. Auto blog, Chris Teague, October 14, 2022. Flooded Teslas are catching fire in Hurricane Ian's wake. All EVs are susceptible after being flooded, not just Tesla. So this is not a harp on Tesla situation, but unfortunately in Florida and in the Gulf, PEVs, you know, plug-in hybrids and full-on battery electric hybrids are having this problem. You think after a car gets kind of drained, if you will, of its water, of its flood damage, that it should start up, it's all okay. It's not okay, especially when it's flooded with salt water, Saltwater corrodes wiring, essential wiring. Uh, it, it corrodes, you know, probably safety systems that the inverter relies on to keep the battery running optimally. So Teslas are catching fire. Of course, there were some cases of Teslas. There's going to be other cases that are going to be popping up. The reason I wanted to bring this story first and foremost isn't for the fact that these are catching fire, but many occasions after hurricanes happen, people try to sell cars, especially dealers and brokers, They try to sell flood damage used cars throughout the United States. Because the used car market, everything is so expensive right now, people are going to start seeing used EVs and used hybrids that are going to be way cheaper than they should be because they were flood damage. And I'm telling people right now, don't buy those cars. It's not worth it. Those cars should probably go through the recycling system, let the batteries get recycled. You know, we had had Lifecycle on a couple, uh, about a year ago. Let these, let these cars go through their natural progression. They may be ruined, and it's better to just take it off the system altogether than try to put someone at risk and to damage the reputation of EVs even further. And don't forget, other non-EV vehicles also have issues. They also you know, catch fire and go up in flames after, you know, after many an issue takes place. So just be careful, and that's why I wanted to put this article first. Yeah, and you know, every time one of these articles come out, these, you know, anti-clean tech people. I don't know why people are even anti-clean tech. Doesn't make any sense to me. Say, oh, I'll never buy an EV. It starts on fire. 
Like, really? I, I mean, you know, uh, gasoline is flammable, right? And I don't know if you remember the Pintos in the 80s that were blown. <laughs> I mean, gasoline is also flammable and explosive. So, um, yeah, I mean, it'll, we'll find a solution to this. Yeah. So just I just want to get that out there. If people start seeing flood damage vehicles out there, whether they're conventional ICEs or EVs, take a very hard look whether or not you really want to buy that vehicle. So Yeah. Yeah, agreed. So, yeah. So anyways, now let's go to the hydrogen one. So now that I get, we got our PSA done. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Not this one. Yes. But you know what? I know you, we, we've talked about this in our warm up. This is a good article because it just, I think there's a lot of truth in it. So let's talk about it. Okay. So apparently a new publication on our website called hydrogen insight powered by recharge. In uh, the article title, I think it's, I don't know what the date is a couple of days ago. Liebrick quote, Hydrogen is starting to look like an economic bubble, and here's why. This is by Lee Collins, uh, 13 October, so just a couple days ago, updated apparently yesterday. Apparently, the World Hydrogen Congress is taking place in Rotterdam yesterday. I wish we were there because Rotterdam is a kick-ass city. Michael Liebrick, an analyst, is saying that he is starting to see things, that there's a bubble out there. Uh, He quoted German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who said that hydrogen will create a huge boom and replace the natural gas used today for industry, heating, and fuels. UK Energy Secretary Jacob Rees-Mogg said something very similar, that it's a silver bullet that can use excess wind power to produce green hydrogen in Britain's homes. First off, I didn't even know, is there excess wind power in the world? I don't know there is. Maybe there's some that's not tied to the grid appropriately yet, but this is an article, when you read through it, it gives the pros and cons of where hydrogen is now. And the one thing that it talks about that we have talked about on past episodes it's very expensive to make green hydrogen right now because I look at it as a two-stage process. You have to create the clean energy generation first, then that creates the uh, green process in the electrolyzer, right? So it's almost a two-step yeah. process. So I think there is a lost opportunity cost of that green energy being used for something else as opposed to creating hydrogen. So with the with this analyst, Liebrich is saying, as time as you read down the article, it's just saying that like the economics of this are not that great and everyone's rushing into it. So it may create a bubble. I think there's something being implied here that doesn't come out directly, but we talked about it and we talked about it a little bit with Jigger, which is when you're talking about building a green hydrogen economy, given the level of capital expenditures that's needed, I almost think there needs to be a little bit more central planning, whether that's from government incentives in the U.S. because we're a market economy or something a little bit more straightforward saying, from countries like Japan and Germany that have a little bit more control over industry and direction and simply saying, this is what we're going to be doing with hydrogen. Here's how we are going to incentivize it. Here's how it's going to be built out. And here's the the industries it's going to satisfy. And I think that's right now, this article brings up a lot of that. We're not planning well enough. We're just either building or not building. And because of that, it's creating a lot of confusion out there. So I do think it could create a bubble because we don't know what to do with it right now. Yeah, but you know, he makes this point of, you know, it's it's we need markets for it to find where it makes sense for it to work. Yeah, and I think that's one of his main points is that the, with the Swiss Army knife, it's that you don't use a Swiss Army knife for everything, even though you can. You use it for what it's best for, and I think markets are best at sussing that out, right? And prices. But I think there has to be some incentives to create that market. Like if you look at Japan and, and Korea. I think those are two countries doing a great job creating a hydrogen economy, right? They're talking about the hydrogen power generation and they're talking about hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, both, you know, commercial vehicles, uh, you know, retail vehicles, you know, average cars. 
et cetera. So like they're creating the whole ecosystem, right? So they're creating the market for it. I don't think we're doing that right now. We just keep talking about green hydrogen, but in, in, in a lot of Western countries like the US and Europe, but I don't see the application being coordinated anywhere. So yeah. I think I think there is a real risk of it being a bubble right now, even though generally I'm in favor of uh, green hydrogen. So actually you, you sucked me in there to that, but I have a real problem with this article. He spends how much time bashing hydrogen <laughs> and then at the end, he goes, I don't want to give the impression that I hate hydrogen. I'm actually thrilled about it, even though I just bashed it for an hour straight. I mean, God. No, see, I, but I understand why he did that. OK, I'm going to I'm going to liken it to something that happened in the 90s in America where every startup or every tech company was putting fiber in the ground. Right. And every company out there that was putting fiber in for telecom kept saying, all I need is 10% of the market to make my company grow. Well, when you got 20 companies all trying to get 10% of the market, there's going to be winners and yeah. winners. Yeah. And I think that's the same. Now, the good news is the, hydro, the, the, the fiber was put in the ground. And so after there was you know, a purging, if you will, of good actors and bad actors, you still had people buying the fiber and lighting it and creating a much better, you know, faster uh, information superhighway for this country. I think the same thing could happen with hydrogen. People are building it out right now. But you get as an investor, you got to be very careful about where you're putting yeah. money in hydrogen because you do have to understand what are the end markets look like, and there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Well, but that was my question too. What does he mean by a bubble? Because I don't see any hydrogen stocks in the stock market that are trading at thousand x multiples. So, what is he talking about? There's too many startups attracting too much VC, and he doesn't well, see the I end market. About, is that what he's I, saying? No, I think he's talking about capacity. He's talking more about capacity right now. Like hydrogen, making green hydrogen, but it not necessarily having end markets because the end markets haven't been clearly identified or the price of that hydrogen is so much expensive versus its competitive alternatives, the competitor alternatives, that it doesn't have anywhere to naturally go in terms of market. So the, oh, but I'm 100% important. certain we have not built too much hydrogen infrastructure. Yeah, but there's, there's no way. We haven't built any. Oh, I wouldn't say we have too much. Oh, I disagree with that. We've talked about there's articles out there. There are articles we've talked about hydrogen infrastructure being built. One, think, what I, that was the first one in offshore wind with hydrogen. How many times though have we seen it where everybody's saying they're going to build a hydrogen plant or everyone's going to build a cryogenic facility during the fracking boom? And when 15 people are building cryo facilities and you only need five, some of them are not going to get built, or some of them are going to get built and the prices are going to drop. He's just saying that there's a lot of talk out there and it's creating a bubble. You know, like how many hydrogen vehicles on the road? None. Come on. How can this guy say there's a bubble? Uh, I really you're, uh, you're being very American. Here. There's done. a lot of hydrogen vehicles out there already in different parts of the world. Oh, okay. I don't see it a bubble in that way. I think, I think there may Michael, be a bubble. Let's get Michael, in... let's get Michael on, uh, on this uh, podcast. <laughs> I mean, there may be a bubble in too many startups chasing too many markets that just aren't going to work out. But if he wanted to make a balanced argument, he would have listed the pros and the cons and not just a giant list of cons. Maybe that's just the author's interpretation. But if he's so thrilled, then he should have spent half his time talking about pros and hydrogen. Okay, fair enough. That actually could be the article the way the article was written too, right? Yeah, that could be. So, Okay. Michael, we're calling you. We want you on the podcast. I'm mad. We need to talk hydrogen. <laughs> we need to talk hydrogen. 
Kevin. No Hindenburg here. No Hindenburg here. All right, the Atlantic. Uh, the climate economy is about to explode. I don't know if we should use that word after an article on hydrogen. New reports suggest that the Inflation Reduction Act could even be bigger than Congress thinks. This is by Robinson Meyer. That's a great name, Robinson Meyer. Yeah. Uh, and look at that. Look at that great photo they have here for those uh, watching us of one of those, um, what do they call this? Uh, centralized. Um, concentrated solar. Concentrated solar facilities. These are just, I've always found these things incredible, even though some haven't worked well. Um, okay. No comment. <laughs> this, I know, but they look really cool. Um, very sci fi. This is a really good article. Uh, we've, we've had similar articles already since IRA has been passed, or you probably have seen similar. But uh, analysts at Investment Bank Credit Swiss published an, a research note about the new climate law. And, you know, barely went unnoticed, probably because of, unless you're in the investing community, you're not getting Credit Swiss's work. The Inflation Reduction Act is going to have profound effect across industries for the next decade and beyond. It can ultimately shape the direction of the American economy. Listen to that one. Yeah. Ultimately shape the direction of the American economy. Yeah, and I that's think crazy. it will. I think it will. I think so too. You know, uh, I'm not going to get too much into the details of the article because it's stuff we've already talked about. But effectively, there's going to be the multiplier effect in the U.S. economy, right? And from yeah. what's really good is they talked about the impact of the tax credits. They've talked about, um, you know, the incentives for uh, zero carbon electricity, electric vehicles. But I also just think that overall, what the IRA did rather well with segment parts of the economy that are actually going to draw and bring supply chain manufacturing back to America mm. and create the whole, like not just create incentives for one product to be built, but create incentives for the whole system to be built. And that's, what's really going to be a stabilizer and the converter of the United States into a cleaner, greener economy, something that we were lacking behind. So I think there's a real sincere sense of optimism. And what's great about it is not just from the green community, it's coming from investment banks. It's coming from the ones that have been following the stuff enough, the following the economy enough to know that this will have broader implications in a positive way. Yeah. I mean, I find it odd that they say that because we live in our clean tech bubble and everybody's talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. So they say the law went nearly unnoticed. I'm like, really? Everybody's talking about it, but maybe that's just our bubble. Yeah. I mean, that's what it's supposed to do. That's, you know, when I worked with policy people, that's what we were trying to do, catalyze private investment, right? Um, we knew the government couldn't do it alone. So you have to catalyze private investment. And and hopefully we do build those um, industries that we need, like Lifecycle and like what I'm going to talk about, um, solar panel recycling too. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So why don't we go right into my final story? So I'm not, I'm not taking too much time. Uh, but this is a great compliment to what we just read about in, um, in both hydrogen and also with uh with uh, the ira act this is from this is a bit dated it's almost a month old now september 15th but this is from boston consulting group and it's one of their publications but how the u.s can win six key green, uh, clean technologies written by a consortium of people at bcg but they focus on where they say look the united states and this probably came out right around the time the ira was passed but we actually have the capacity on six technologies electric vehicles clean steel, low carbon hydrogen, which we just talked about, long duration energy storage, which we've certainly talked about over the years, direct air capture, and the last one, which I love, and we probably haven't given enough attention to, advanced nuclear small modular reactors, right? You, we have such expertise in all six of those, and those are really kind of the foundation, if you will, of 
the industries that will actually pull carbon out of the air and get us to our two degree targets by 2050. Um, we've definitely talked probably too, many, too much about EVs. We haven't talked too much about clean steel, but you know, for steel and cement concrete, if you're taking the carbon out of the manufacturing process of those things, that's huge. gonna have a profound impact, huge. Huge, yep. One of the things that we don't see as an average, as average American, but it's really, really carbon intense. Low carbon hydrogen, we just talked about that, the pros and cons of it. Long duration energy storage. This is the bridge, if you will, between clean energy trans, um, production, such as wind and solar, and transmission and timing of transmission. So uh, we've, we've definitely talked about energy storage. We know long duration is going to get better as battery technologies get better and the costs come down. And that duck curve will smooth out in a positive way. Direct air capture, we really haven't talked about too much on. I think we've had an article yeah. or two for an air, but. Um, I assume I actually, it means carbon capture? Right? I think it means carbon capture. And yeah, okay. Funny part is, I, don't feel, yeah. I don't feel the US is actually a catalyst in this. I feel there's a lot of uh, European and Asian uh, companies and governments ahead of us. C2V, C2V initiative over at MIU. Which is fantastic, <laughs> but I'm just saying, I think there's a lot of companies. <laughs> There's a lot of companies putting installed app, like, you know, product, if you will, in the, in the ground already. Yeah. The work. Uh, and then small modular nuclear reactors, something I was very big on. I was heavily involved in, yep. in my economic development role. You know, SMR technology could be a much safer, smarter application. You can unplug a coal plant, put an SMR on the same site, right. and you already have the grid ready to go. And uh, SMR technology went away when gas prices dropped to next to nothing in the early 2010s. And I think it's going to come back now. So this is a really good article, a really good piece, probably worth reading, you know, and taking some more time on. Um, but I recommend it to everybody. Find it interesting they don't list solar panels here. They don't will list wind turbines. I mean, we've talked about the wind turbine market and states trying to incentivize that. Where's that? But I think from a technology standpoint, I mean, like the horse is out of the barn already, right? You know, uh, solar panel technology is becoming almost oh, yeah. Wind turbines, you know, there's just like, I think about Bestus and Siemens, right, along with GE, you know, so two big European players who make great turbines. So I think they're just saying on a relative basis, these are six that we can really be a catalyst on. Yeah, and they talk about that we would actually become the leaders in this and then export uh, to the rest of the world. So that's an interesting way to look at it, too. Yeah, someone from, a, you know, as someone from an old steel town and saw a lot of jobs go away in the steel industry in the 70s and 80s. It's great to see us taking leadership roles in, in clean steel manufacturing. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's make it happen. All right, so I'm done. Those are those are a quick four, but I really love them. Those are a, a great post jigger shot episode type of articles we have. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So I'll I'll take over now. <laughs> I love this one. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, this article comes from C, uh, CNBC. Um, probably because these companies are public. So again, we're not making any recommendation of any uh, securities, but this startup is partnering with Sunrun to recycle and reuse millions of outdated solar panels. This is just a fantastic story. This is uh, recently published October 3rd from Diane Olick. Um, This is great. I want to see more of this. I really hope they get scale. Uh, hopefully you all know about gallium arsenic solar panels and the poor lack of sustainability design in the solar industry, which is horribly upsetting to me. So to see a company starting up to tackle solar cell recycling is very exciting to me. I'm very happy about this. So we want to see solar cycle succeed. I'm trying to get the CEO on. 
Suvi Sharma, I'm sure he'll come on uh, like uh, the Lifecycle CEO did. And so we'll get the real beef from him, but excellent uh, development to see him very happy. Yeah, this is great. And, it, you know, just a little clarity, it looks like they're going to they're gonna clear out the panel and take the precious metals and recycle those. So they're not recycling the, P, the actual final cell, it looks like, but they're going to break down the cell, which is oh. equally as good. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think it's great. Uh, we need more of this. We need to, you know, we just, we keep talking about, I think I saw, maybe it was actually Jigger who posted today on LinkedIn that, you know, in order to hit our battery targets, we're going to have to open 300 more mines globally uh, by 2035, you know, for all the precious metals out there. And I think that actually includes assumptions on how much existing material is going to be recycled. So we need to recycle everything and we need to get smarter and take precious metals out of the process. Until we get there, companies like uh, Sunrun and their partnerships, this is great. I mean, as long as they have a continuous improvement process, they'll they'll get to a point where they're recycling everything. So yeah, yeah. love it. Great story. Cool. Uh, I found this kind of ironic. So this one's from Fortune Magazine, actually. In case you didn't know, the Mississippi River has been running low recently. Um, we can bring up the drought monitor because it's very interesting also. So I'll bring that up in a minute. It's been running low and it's about to deepen Europe's energy crisis, which Crazy. at first doesn't make any sense. How can that be? Uh, there's a team here in Bloomberg on October 6th. So this was a very interesting read. So the Mississippi River is a vital U.S. waterway and it ferries key commodities between the heart of America and the Gulf Coast and not even the Gulf Coast. Because it's navigable, you can go around the world pretty much. And so actually some people consider the Mississippi River a giant coastline of the U.S. that extends into the heartland and provides transportation for uh, industries and supported really all these Midwest industries in, in growing and developing. And so some people claim that the U.S. has the largest coastline in the world because of that. So it actually turns out Mississippi River is is extremely crucial and we have to have navigation through here. And so recently the water level got so low because of droughts, which we can look at if you want, that they had to halt traffic through the Mississippi. I think one ship got uh, ran aground while the uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers dredged so that they could get through. They caused a backup of 117 vessels and 2,000 barges in Mississippi, um, stack out, near Stack Island, Mississippi. And there was another shutdown in Memphis, Tennessee. So there's two areas, uh, according to the Coast Guard. Um, obviously, there's not enough rain. That's um, obvious. Um, so the big one is coal. The river is a major thoroughfare for thermal coal. And a lot of that coal ends up being shipped over to Europe. And so this is becoming yet another energy problem for Europe because it can't get coal out of the Midwest um, on the Mississippi. So 35% of U.S. thermal coal for export travels on the Mississippi. So this will significantly affect the market. Um, So why is this ironic? So if you make the connection between crazy droughts and climate change being driven by burning things like coal, then, um, yeah, it's kind of the, uh, I don't know, a good metaphor, the horse biting the hand, that the head biting the tail, I don't know, something like that. 
yeah, you had me until those analogies there at the end. <laughs> is that <laughs> is it Yogi Bear like the... Day? Is it Yogi Bear Day where you mix Make up the... analogies? <laughs> um, if your hand is near your mouth, don't bite your foot. I don't know something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, don't stab yourself with the fork that you eat off of. Okay, correct. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is a very alarming and uh, just sad article. Uh, I've seen a couple since that you sent me this one, uh, I think about a week ago. There's been a couple others. It's the problem's not getting any better. You know, you talked about global drought monitor. Like I said, I was in Portugal with my wife last week and uh, they're going through a, a really bad drought. And here's a, that's a country that's using a lot of hydro. And when you're using a lot of hydro and there's not any flowing water, yeah. hydro starts dissipating. So Yep. You got to start making up for it very quickly. Um, yeah. Look at this. Look at that. That's uh, like 80% of the U.S. is in some kind of, well, not drought, but, you know, abnormally dry is bright yellow. Everything else is drought. And we are uh, here in the Hudson Valley or in New York State. I know we were in a drought watch condition, but then September, October, we've had a really good run with rain. Uh, but you can see on oh, this yeah. droughtmonitor.unl.edu, you can actually see the Mississippi River Basin just being completely really in a tough spot. So, um, you know, our, our hearts and, and prayers are definitely with the people in the Mississippi river because so much of our economy is based on flowing through the river with barge and, and ship traffic. Uh, I don't know what to say. I mean, Europe is, I don't think Europe has done enough in these uh, warm weather months to prepare for this winter. I don't know if they thought that the Ukraine situation would have alleviated by now. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's going to, and so we're going to have very dystopian type of circumstances, I think, in Europe uh, this winter. Let's all pray that it's not a catastrophically cold winter. Well, they have been filling their natural gas storage. But, you know, in case anybody's wondering, because nobody's going to tell you this, it's not enough. Okay. I'll tell you right now, it's not enough. So it's nice to have. It's not enough. Tough choices are going to be, need to be made. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So uh, this is a, a different type of article we normally focus on, but it's really one that should be highlighted. So we have to keep an eye on these things. Um, wow. We didn't, it was funny. We didn't really talk too much about straight out technology today, except for maybe hydrogen. Um, but yeah, I got stuff. one more here. Oh, you do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, CBS news, uh, October 9th, Babcock ranch. This is in Florida, solar powered hurricane proof town takes direct hit from hurricane ian which we all know was devastating and did not lose electricity this is a feel-good story i was really happy about this um right near uh fort myers 12 miles to the northeast uh plant community where they had uh, a lot of solar and they took a direct hit i don't know why this video keeps popping up um they have 150 megawatts of solar near the town we are the first solar powered town in america they say um and they did not lose power during the hurricane um the panels withstood ian so they did not become giant projectiles like i think some people in a certain industry like to spread rumors about uh that did not happen you don't see a single panel that's been dislodged it's quite a bit of wind, gusts over 150 miles an hour. Um, so it's just a feel-good story that, yes, we can do it right. It can be done. Yet again, I don't know how many of these stories I have to put out there. Yes, we can do the energy transmission, uh, the transition. It can be done right. It does work. Yes, the answer is yes. 
Yeah, so I saw this on 60 Minutes uh, as well. I mean, their solar farm is 140 acres, I think, that supports the town. And they said they didn't lose one panel on a rack. Yeah. I mean, amazing. This is really good for a couple of reasons. Obviously, I have a vested interest uh, heading up a uh, solar construction materials company. Uh, We've actually gotten calls from the state of Florida over the last week or two asking about our product because people are now obviously being much smarter about rebuilding after Hurricane Ian and after Hurricane Fiona in Puerto Rico, rebuilding and making sure they rebuild sustainably. And sustainably means resilient as well, building structures that are going to withstand cat. It's no longer cat two, cat three hurricanes. It's cat four, cat five. And, you know, I think even refer to cat six. Um, these, these are incredible. These once every 50 year storms are happening once every three years now. Yeah. So when we're rebuilding towns, there has to be mandates coming either from FEMA or state authorities, state regulators that make the new buildings that are going up to be as resilient as possible because uh, this is really scary stuff. Yeah, I agree. All right. Good articles. Yeah. Yeah, no, you know, we covered a lot of ground. We didn't cover a lot of technology per se today, but we're covering stuff that needs a reaction from technology Um, (laughs) well just the entire hydrogen industry almost the entire solar industry the um entire economy we didn't cover enough for you (laughs) all i say folks is if you're uh, seeing that you know that lucid air for sale that came from florida and it's only going for forty five thousand bucks don't buy it (laughs) uh be really careful seriously um you know, by the way, we always talk about utility workers, and I'm sure the utility workers are still working overtime in Florida right now. So, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with them as well. Uh, yeah. Let's hope they're all doing well. But great episode. Lucas, uh, where can people find us? Yeah, so we're on pretty much every major podcast venue. A lot of people listen to us on Apple Podcasts. So you can just go to uh, podcast.apple.com or whatever it is and uh, search for Pirates of Cleantech, and you click subscribe or follow. Uh, and you get when uh, our episodes are posted. We're also on YouTube. If you want to follow along in the articles with us, you just go to YouTube, search for Pirates of Clean Tech, click subscribe, uh, and you click the alarm bell. Uh, please feel free to leave comments. Yeah, subscriptions do help us out. We're not monetized yet, so if you get your friends, family to all subscribe, that would be appreciated. And watch our episodes and give us some feedback. It would be great. Yeah, and uh, Lucas, you touched on it, but you know, obviously the views and opinions expressed by us are solely those of us uh, and not any organizations we necessarily represent or work with. Uh, and also for any company we talked about that has underlying public securities, please consult an investment advisor or registered representative uh, in order to get financial advice about whether or not you should uh, buy or sell those securities. Uh, we are making no recommendations uh, based on the, the articles that we referred to. Correct. Even though we do want to make recommendations. <laughs> you can make some recommendations. We can tell people what we did. Um, but uh, there's a lot of good stuff going on. A lot of still the buzz is, is super high from, you know, IRA and then Climate Week and everything. So let's keep the momentum up. But um, thank you. Great episode, Lucas. And uh, I think we're going to have a really intriguing guest for our next one, probably coming up in a couple weeks. Yeah, I think so too. So all right. Stay tuned. Well, with that... I am Eric Planey. I'm Lucas Finko. We are Pirates of Clean Tech. Yarr! 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 Yarr!